This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. One of the most valuable lessons Rob Gentile learned from his near-death experience is that real beauty comes from the inside. It was his daughter, Maria, who taught him this when Rob saw her in the ethereal. Here in the temporal realm, she is unable to walk, talk, or feed herself. She has special needs. But in the spiritual realm, she is perfect and whole. It's through children like Maria with special needs that we can hear God whispering, Look at me. I'm right here. They have no ulterior motives. They are pure, innocent vessels that God speaks through. We are spiritual beings living inside fragile clay vessels we call bodies. When we focus on the real beauty within, we become less judgmental and more accepting of others. Valeria Tallis interviews Rob A. Gentile, the author of Quarks of Light, A Near-Death Experience. Rob is the son of Italian immigrants. His father worked in a steel mill, and so he grew up in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Gentile has spent his career as a sales representative in the steel industry while married to his wife, Melanie, for over 30 years. Together, they have devoted themselves to their special needs daughter, Maria, who is in her 20s, and whom Rob refers to as pure spirit. Throughout her childhood, he grappled with difficult questions about prayer and why children must suffer. Answers came in a sudden and unexpected way. At age 56, he had a massive heart attack, then flatlined, and had a near-death experience, NDE. Self-discovery and spiritual awakening continued while waiting to receive a donor heart. His journey provides a roadmap for overcoming adversity, staying in spirit, and addressing the most troubling questions of our time. He shares the insights learned from his spiritual awakening. Meet Rob at robagentile.com. Here is the interview with Rob A. Gentile. In your own words, who is Rob Gentile? Well, Rob Gentile is a spiritually evolving person. At the age of 56, I had a massive heart attack and flatlined for 20 minutes, could not be resuscitated, went into a four-day coma and had a profound near-death experience. So Rob Gentile is this, this guy that was just living his life. I have one child. She's special needs. She's nonverbal. 
working through that, my wife and I, and it was a uh, kind of a fluke because I'm always taking care of myself. I'm a healthy guy and had this uh, very weird anomaly, this this massive heart attack in my bed one night at uh, 11 p.m. and went through this profound near-death experience on my journey to heart transplant and it transformed my life and I'm still transforming. My second initial question is life itself. What do you think this is? Not what it's about, but what is life to you? You know, life to me is this process, at least for me personally, of continuing to grow myself spiritually and to connect with that divine love of God. Because to me, in the end, that's all there is. All of this will go away. And I've learned that through my experiences, my near-death experiences in life, and that how we allow the divine to express through us, in the end, is all that matters. The rest is folly, really. What is your idea of spirituality and what, where, and who is God to you? Well, I was raised a Christian. And to me, and I was also raised Catholic, and to me, I found that, and this is what happened to me in my first near-death experience, the first, the, the night that I died, actually, my brother-in-law, who had committed suicide seven weeks prior to me dying that, light, that night, came to me. And he spoke to me, and he told me that he had made a big mess out of things, and he wanted me to go back and help clean things up. But what he told me was, his last sentence to me was, tell my parents I'm in a good place. And when he told me, tell my parents I'm in a good place, when I came out of coma and I realized that he had come to me because I screamed out his name right before I flatlined, I was unconscious on the gurney and I sprung forward and screamed out his name. And my wife was there and a nurse that witnessed it. And I didn't know that until I came out of coma. And what he said to me shifted my entire, this entire paradigm of religion, because in the Catholic faith, if one takes their own life, they're immediately supposedly condemned to hell. Yeah. And whatever anybody's idea of hell is. But to me, I realized that that was a man-made rule and not the tenant of a loving God. Right. To me, I still believe as a Christian that that. For me, God in that person of Jesus Christ, uh, to me, I find that to be my path, very revealing. That is what I connect to. But on my journey, I can tell you, and in my book, I, I wrote a chapter called All One. And I began to see what the common thread was through all of the world religions and all of the people that took care of me along my journey, because I was really taken aback by the diversity of people that came into my life to help care for me, everyone from Sikhs to Hindus to Jews to Muslims to Christians, and all of them had this one common thread that was woven through their belief systems. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. That's one thing that I talk about here, and I often ask religious people, I do interview them too, and we talk about God in the sense of love, unconditional love. Everyone agrees to that, that God is unconditional love. To me, another question that I often ask is the, uh, the purpose of being a human body. 
What do you think that is? Have we chosen to be here and go through all these challenges that we go through? You know, I believe we have. And the reason why I believe that is because my daughter, who has Rett syndrome, just this horrible disease that she's nonverbal, she's severely handicapped, she can't feed herself, walk or talk. And it was actually God's spirit who spoke through Maria to me and made me realize that God exists. And it's been through Maria and the love that I have for her. It's her that has really taught me what it means to be human. And I saw Maria during my second and most profound near-death experience in what I call the ethereal. And I've come to understand that we are here to learn these lessons We are here to learn how to let the divine express through us and to figure out what our purpose is, because I firmly believe we're all sent here with a purpose and a passion, and we have to figure out how to fulfill that purpose. And that is when we are really free and our spirit can explode and expand And the more it expands, the more love and light comes into us. And that is how I see it. And speaking of purpose, do you believe that at this time you are living your purpose or this is something that you found before, even before the near-death experiences you had? No, it's something, it is something that I found. I have always been in search of purpose, my own purpose. And sometimes the vicissitudes of life Uh, whether they be sickness or circumstances out of our control or bad personal choices, all of these things that come into our everyday lives, we have to understand that sometimes these things distract us away from remembering who we really are and what our purpose is, because we all have that gift. A lot of times I wonder why this happens, why some of us are able to find our purpose and live this peaceful life, meaningful life, and some of us never will. Do you wonder why that happens to some of us and not to all of us? You know, I do. And I wish I had the answer to that, but I've given given it great thought. And I continue to think about that because you're right. It seems as though that like a professional athlete that just seems to have a natural talent for what that person does. But of course, you know, behind the scenes, we all know that they work very, very, very hard every day to perfect their craft and to become the best they can be. But I do think that somewhere along the way, some people, maybe it's early on in childhood, are are made aware of their particular talent or purpose, and they spend the rest of their lives refining it. Mm. And other others like me and many like me who are still in search of it. And that's one of the things that the near-death experience revealed to me that, hey, wake, wake up, you know, and every day try, try to think about what are you really doing with your life? What is your purpose? Because Mm -hmm. when it when it comes to the end, you're going to look back and say, okay, what have I done with my time here? Yeah. When you say about purpose of life, that our lives, that the way you said, it sounds to me like it takes commitment and also effort it's not something that just happens. We need to do something about it. And maybe that's the reason why most of us don't get to live the purpose because we don't commit to it. 
You know, that is a, that's a wonderful point and I'm glad you made it because it does take commitment. It, it's, it's like everything else. You know, I've, I've come to believe that we are spiritual beings living inside these fragile clay vessels, having this experience. However, what I learned was during my, my second and most profound near-death experience is that our actions here matter. What we do every day matters. And it affects our spirit. I believe that everything starts in the spirit realm and and trickles down. But it's like a mirror because what we do affects everyone else. And and what we also do is to to work on ourselves every day to be to become the best we can be is part of it. Because I learned that for me personally. You know, prayer is a very powerful thing. But what I learned was when prayer is not coupled with action, when you when you don't do the deed, it's rather meaningless. What would you say to me and the audience about finding purpose? What does it, does it feel like? What are the signs when we have found our purpose, Rob? You know, I, I found my purpose when I was writing my book. And when I decided to commit, and here we go with that commitment again, Valeria, right? So, so I have a full-time job. Even after heart transplant, I came back and I jumped right back into working full-time after one year after transplant. And when it was placed on my spirit that I needed to tell my story and I needed to write a book, what I had to do was I had to get up every morning at 4.30 in the morning and commit to writing from 4.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. before I went to work. And if I didn't show up in that space, uh, it wasn't going to get done. And, you know, many, many times obstacles were thrown in my way. Uh, even to this day, my daughter gets up several times a night. My wife and I um, you know, have to change her diaper and things like that. And so many, many a times I was bleary-eyed, but I was committed to getting this story out. And I can tell you that there is an energy that comes with that kind of purpose. You know you're living your purpose when you have supernatural strength and energy. If you, if you told me now, looking back, that you have to write your book, I'd say forget about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because when, when you're in that zone, or in that place, it's almost like the universe mm. aligns with you, spirit shows up, the muse shows up, what I call the comforter, the Holy Spirit shows up, gives me and gave me the words to write it. And sometimes I think that I really didn't write the book because I would, I would have this moment of prayer every morning before I sat down to write and I would ask for the words to come through me and not from me. And that was a tremendously freeing process. And sometimes nothing would come out. But when it did, it really came out fast. And I had to, I had to work really hard to get all of my thoughts down. I love this idea. If we can accept the commitment to do what we have to do to live this meaningful life through the lens of what we know to be true, then the universe, God, the Holy Spirit, as you call it, will just kind of provide us with the means to get there. I do believe that. That's what it feels like to live life on purpose. I've spoken to uh, many a musician, athlete. There's, there's uh, two famous musicians in my bloodline. And, you know, I speak to them about this and, and they concur. It's 
it's connecting, and this is where knowledge and creativity and energy, all of it comes from. It comes from spirit. It really doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from that higher place. And when we learn how to connect with it and we feel that energy guiding us, there's nothing like it. Um, my other question for you, it's about this idea of coming here and learning lessons in the human body. And then I wonder after we learn the lessons, if we have, ever do, what happens to the soul, to the spirit? Do you have any insights into that? Have you gained any insights about a destination, some sort of destination? You know, I think that when, when I had what, what I call that moment before my heart arrived and I died, almost died again, um, when I was in Chicago and I was taken up into what I call the ethereal and for whatever, however long that lasted. But what I talk about in the book is, is that I became part of this incredibly beautiful interactive web of lights. And, and it looked like it was, it stretched into infinity And it just kind of like hung on the ceiling of the universe. And as I became part of this interactive web, I realized that each cork of light, each spark of light was a human life and that I was connected to everything and everyone and all the wisdom and knowledge of the universe. And in that place, I realized that the goal is to get closer and closer to this as we grow and our soul evolves, it's to get closer and closer to this irreproachable light of God. I believe that God, love, and light are one. And I believe that God uses light to create, to heal and transform us. And, and I believe we're all, in the end, we're made of light. And I think that when I saw that there were dark parts of the web and all of the, the, the twinkling lights or the, or the human souls weren't as bright as some of the others, I realized that it was because they weren't living purpose. They got distracted. They got drugged into the darkness by the vicissitudes of life. And it showed up through alcohol abuse or addictions and things like that. And so the purpose, I believe, and our destination is as we grow spiritually and as we learn to love. And I learned in that place, too, that if I hurt myself, I hurt everything connected to me. But if I loved, the light would spread. So now coming back and having learned that lesson, I could feel empathy for people. I could feel their pain sometimes. I could connect with their energy And I understand that I now have a responsibility, since we're all connected and we're all one, to, to, help, to help them. It's all about unity. The question I have for you is um, this paradox sometimes that, and the paradox of life really, not that sometimes happens, but what is, is that uh, life itself has these opposites, the good and the bad, as we label them. So I'm wondering that for you, after these experiences you had and then now knowing that truth or the truth, do you still have thoughts of separation or negative thoughts or all that disappeared? And now you're just kind of living, navigating this reality as one, as one light that is connected to everyone and everything. It's a great question. 
And I could tell you that I wish I were that evolved because I think that while we're here, it takes continual work and commitment. But I did, I, I have learned this. I have learned that the only thing that I can control in my life is my own actions and that the outcomes are determined by God. And, and that's tremendously freeing when you think about it. Yeah. Because we really don't control anything but ourselves. And the rest is, is left, I believe, to God. Um, and I think that it's also essential that on this journey, that we learn how to eliminate the ego the best we can. Um, I think that ego is, is an acronym for edges God often. Yeah, I heard that before, right. And, and when we do that, I think that we find ourselves disconnected. We find ourselves drifting into darkness again because it's not about us. It's about, mm. it's not us personally. It's about all of us. Right. It's, it's, it's about this oneness that we're all part of. So when you say that we are not in control, well, God's in control, but we are not as people or ourselves. So do you think we can control our thoughts? Is that possible? Are we thoughts? How much of who we are are thoughts? Oh, I think uh, I think a large part of ourselves are a thought. There's no question. Um, yeah. I, I meditate every morning, yeah. and I find that uh, in through meditation, we can control our thoughts more, and we can also let spirit in. You know, we can we can get guidance that way. But yes, I do think that we can do a great deal by controlling our thoughts, controlling our mind. But like you say, it is a bit of a conundrum because then. You also have to find that space and understand that while we can control our thoughts and we can control our actions, sometimes it doesn't line up with our destiny. And then that, that's a rabbit hole we can run down all day, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> yes. But, but that's yeah. where I think that we have mm. to have, have the faith to let go so we can learn. Yeah, this idea of trust it always gets to me. I guess in difficult times, that's what I choose to do. If there's an I here doing something, kind of trying to, whatever that's negative or challenging, trying to transform that into something positive. So it's kind of um, an interesting topic, this idea that it's not really about ourselves. It's not a person in the personal, but it's God's not personal. It's universal. It's everything and everyone. So how do we kind of wrap that around our heads <laughs> that there's no person here, but just the work of God? And even when it's bad things and challenging things, it's, uh, it's all about unconditional love, accepting everything, that everything's possible in the human experience, and that's okay for that to happen too. Uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of um, going off here. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. That's all good. Yeah, you know, it's like when I when I had my uh, when I had my heart attack, I didn't, I never saw it coming. You know, I was always a guy that took care of himself and yeah. was very healthy. And it's a prime example of, you know, I was controlling my own actions, but I couldn't control the outcome. Right. That's exactly what I'm kind of trying to talk about. That we think we have control of our own lives, but we don't. In a way, we don't. It seems like we don't. Apparently, apparently, we are making choices. I choose to be here today and talk to you. 
and you choosing the same. But it seems like at the same time, it's not giving a choice. This is what was meant to happen. That's what it feels really like, the truth. It does. It does. You know, it's, it's um, interestingly enough, I found that out to be you know, the same with my, with my donor heart. That's a whole nother story. But there, I can, I can tell you that there are no coincidences in life. Coincidences, I found, are God's way of remaining anonymous. You wrote the book, Quartz of Light, A Near-Death Experience. For a moment, Rob, talk to me about the main intention of writing your book. Well, the main intention of writing the book was uh, I felt so compelled that when I when I had my uh, second and most profound near-death experience, it was there where I saw my daughter, my daughter Maria, who is again nonverbal. To Maria is at the time she was twenty years old, and when I saw Maria there in that ethereal space. I asked her, um, and for me, there was no language in the ethereal. Um, it's kind of like uh, language was, uh, it was like synchronicity and telepathy at the same time. It was almost as if any question I had, all I had to do was observe and it was answered. And when I saw Maria standing there in the middle of nowhere with me in, in that web that we were all connected in, I asked her, I said, Maria, I, uh, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't, I don't know how to heal you. I've tried everything. Your mother and I have taken you all over North America. We don't know what to do for you when you're having seizures. And she said to me, just love me. And when she said, just love me, I realized that I had to come back and tell my story. I had to come back to let people know that even though... In the temporal world, my daughter suffers every day. She's struggling. She's in pain. But in the spiritual realm, she's perfect and whole, and she doesn't feel these things. So there's a, I found that so compelling that I had to tell the story. I had to share the story. And I had a life review, and I had a life review of some of the nurses that were taking care of me. And all of that compelled me to, to write the book. What was the main difference between the first near-death experience you had and the second one, Rob? How would you describe that? The first near-death experience, there were two supernatural things that happened there. In the first near-death experience, as I mentioned to you, my brother-in-law, who had committed suicide, came to me. And I believe when he came to me, he came to me because when he had taken his life that night, he was living with his parents. He was going through a divorce. And my mother-in-law called me and asked me to come to the house, which is only 30 miles from here, yeah. and to go up in his room and to try to find a note or a journal or something um, because he left a daughter behind to, 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 to give them some peace as to why he might have done this. So I eventually did find that and gave it to the family. But the second, so it was all—it was almost like Frosty. That was his nickname. Yeah, was preparing me for what was to come in Chicago because that was my first experience in, in as spirit coming to me and talking to me. And the other thing that happened to me, which is which was extraordinary, is that when I flatlined and the team of doctors came into my room. They escorted my wife out of the room, but 
when they did that, my wife in the hall dropped to her knees and cried out to God to save me. And one of the doctors, actually um, an Indian woman by the name of Dr. Patel, who's very good friends with me now, when she was working on me, she tried to resuscitate me for 20 minutes and could not bring me back. And while she was working on me, this happened to me the second day that I came out of coma. The second day that I came out of coma, Dr. Patel came to see me at my bedside. And she she began to cry and tell me about how many times she lost me. And it was a very emotional moment. Yeah. But then something extraordinary happened. She sat down beside me and she she started to talk about her father and how her father and her were so close that they almost knew each other's thoughts and and that she was a believer and her faith was really strong. She was a Hindu. Yeah. But six months before her first child was born, and that's all her father was living for to see that little boy, he had a brain aneurysm and died unexpectedly. Speaking of not being able to control anything, right? Right, right, right. So, mm. but what was curious is that she said to me, I've lost my faith. I would, I've been bitter about this. And I've lost that connection to spirit and my father. But she said, seeing you here alive, maybe, just maybe, there's something more out there and you've given me hope. Mm. And it struck me while we were having that conversation that there was a voice that kept on repeating the same thing when she was working on me. And it was saying, keep working on him. Don't give up. You Mm. can save him. And it was repeating. It was a male voice over and over and over again. And And it struck me when she was telling me the story that it was her father mm. speaking through me. Right. And wow. I told her that story. And to this day, we have such a strong bond because now she knows that her father is always with her in spirit. It was her father that night pushing her to continue to, to work on me until the cardiologist arrived. And so that was my first near-death experience and how it opened the door. It shifted this paradigm about about God, religion, faith, all of these things in my mind and opened me up to spirit. And then when I had my second near-death experience while I was waiting for my dope heart, that it was almost like the door was kicked open when I was taken up to this ethereal place and became connected to the vast wisdom of the universe, all of it without words. Right. I it was incredible because I I didn't see a singular divine being. Mm, But instead, God was expressed as an imprint of concepts that I wholly understood in that space. It was, what was impressed upon me was, I am the power behind all things. I am the origin of all. This is divine source. This is your real identity. Those are the things that were placed on my spirit in that place. And then I saw and became part of this incredible web that stretched into infinity and was made of, it looked like it was made of trillions and trillions of neurons. And each neuron represented a life. And this is where I learned that if I hurt myself, if I hurt everything connected to me. But if I love, the light would spread. It was there that I, I understood that I, how can you be afraid and lonely when you're connected to everything? Right. 
Right. And it, it was there that I understood that loneliness mm. is just an it's just an illusion. What a beautiful and powerful message, Rob. Thank you for being open to it, because that's what it is, that commitment again to just um, be the message yourself. That's what it is. You are the message, not just the messenger, but the message as well. Yeah, that's, what we have to, that's exactly what we have to be. That's that's, that's the most important part of this. And that's why I say that we have to realize that God both expresses and experiences life through us. Right. And that how we allow that to express is all that really matters. We're almost at the end. I have so many other questions here for you. And I wanted to ask you this one. With the understanding that you have today from all these experiences, have you lost the fear of losing the body? Well, let, let me say this, and, and this is something that may be um, a little hard for your audience to understand. Sometimes I grapple with it. There's a tremendous sense of freedom that comes with an experience like this because you know where you're going, so there's nothing to fear. Right, right. However, you know, I know that part of coming back here, part of my purpose is to get my daughter safely to the other side and my wife and then I have so many more lessons to learn from Maria and from others. And so although we have this sense of freedom about leaving the body, um, we're still attached to it in that way because right. we, we, we want to experience more of it and love as much as we can here. But, but here's what I want to tell you about that. When I got into my, uh, I had to live in Chicago. Um, I live in North Carolina, but I had to live in Chicago. That's where I got my heart for a year after transplant. So I, I was in an apartment by myself for the most part, uh, except for when my wife came to visit. And I can tell you that during that period, particularly the first four months after transplant, I felt very guilty. I went into uh, a, a state of depression because I did not want to be here. Right, right. The magnificence and the peace and the understanding and seeing my daughter whole and perfect and mm. being part of that divine love is so powerful. It's so overwhelming. It's 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 the goal. Right. And, and I had a very difficult time the first four months, even with this drive to protect my family and to be here. I can tell you that once you experience that. There's this sense of it's okay and it's beautiful and it's okay to feel this way. But here's here's what I finally had to come to terms with. And I went through this process of every morning I would get up and meditate and I would try to get back into that ethereal space and it was impossible to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the only way I reconciled it, Valeria, is yeah. I had to learn how to see the divine in everything while I was still here on earth. Right. Wow. And that's where the love of other people and nature and gratefulness and all of these things come into play. What comes to mind is, um, do you think it's possible to have a glimpse of what you have seen without the experience, the near-death experience? Do you believe it's possible? I don't. Um, only because... I've uh, always been a meditator, well, since since high school, and I think that you know I've always strived to be in that in that space and to grow spiritually. 
Uh, but there's actually, it's the difference between, let's put it this way, it would be the difference between uh, watching someone swim in the ocean on television and swimming in the ocean yourself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, um, big difference. <laughs> big difference, right? So yes. <laughs> I, I think that that is definitely the goal of meditators. That's definitely yeah. the goal of most religious that are in it for the right reason in, in this whole aspect of spirituality. Yeah. But but for me, I could never get there. And wow. to have this experience where you the body no longer serves a purpose mm-hmm. and you you the, the the veil becomes very, very thin. I really don't don't think that you can have that the, the kind of quality and real experience uh, without the death of the body. The near-death experiences that you had, many others had, it becomes a gift. It's really hard to say that, but that's what it seems to me. You know, it is. And I think that even with uh, the challenges that I have, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty much pretty much 100% functional after a heart transplant. But, but I can tell you that I wouldn't trade it for anything. Thank you so much, Rob, for sharing your message, for being the message, for the wisdom that you uh, want everyone else to understand so we can live this a more peaceful and loving reality here in a human body. It's really honorable to see that, to witness that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I have so much. I've enjoyed it very much. I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? No, I would, um, in, in terms of some of the, the life lessons that I learned from the book, they're really in the second half of the book. They really start with that chapter into the ethereal. And that is where, like I say, the door was kicked wide open and my life changed forever. And without giving away, there's there's so many twists and turns. I know you've read the book. Uh, there's so many lovely and wonderful things that, that happen through my knowing who my heart donor is. And I don't want to give that away. Yes, <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the coincidence is there. Um so I think that, and, and to learn how invoke how the heart communicates with the brain, I, I think that is another incredible discovery uh, that, that I learned through this process and really isn't talked about much. Yeah. So I would encourage your audience, if they have the time, to pick up Quarks of Light, a near-death experience. They... Um, they might, they might be able to pick out a couple of things in there that would bring them peace and hope. Yes, no doubt about that. Do you offer any sessions? Do you meet people in person or online to talk about these topics as in a session or coaching sessions? I do. Um, they could reach out to me through my website. There is a contact page on my website, which is robagentile.com. That's R O B A. G-E-N-T-I-L-E dot com. And on my website, they can see uh, all my blogs and my videos and my posts. And like I say, there is a content page there. I do a lot of speaking, a lot of motivational speaking. And I also do 
Uh, one-on-one sessions, so if anyone's interested. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too, Rob. And my last question to you is, if you knew you would lose the body soon, would you make any change or do anything in a different way before that happens? Well, I can tell you that I've already made most of those changes. Certainly, there, there, are, there are more that I would like to make. And those really are related to spending more time with my uh, daughter. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, sometimes, well, we all have to work. We all have, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the, the, the basic tenets of life that we have to, we have to tend to. But, right. And I also, before I left, I would like to be in that place again. Maybe it's either with another book or who knows, but I want to be back in that place again where I'm connected to that divine energy and you have that, there's nothing like it when you know you're on fire and you're on purpose. I pray for that every day to to be guided to what that next step is and that I could step into it and lean into it as hard as I can. Thank you so much again, Rob, for your presence, your message, your wisdom, and everything in between that could be felt. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Rob A. Gentile and his work, please visit robagentile.com. about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.